either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? <laughs> you waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Not a lot of quantity this week, but we do have quality, and that's a good thing. Welcome, this is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from MadWolf.com. Let's start with a musical. It's a film version of the Broadway show in which Yuznavi, a sympathetic New York winery owner, saves every penny every day as he imagines and sings about a better life. It's in the heights. All right, all right, everybody sit down, sit down. It's a story of a block that was disappearing. In un barrio called Washington Heights. The streets were made of music. They're talking about kicking out all the dreamers. But every day is different, so it's time to make some noise. We came to work and to live and we got a lot in common. I don't know if I'd call his store a winery. Yeah, they I, called I, it a bodega in the movie. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't. That I don't, makes more sense. They I don't sell, really get that because they sell fruit outside. Yeah. They've got big fruit racks. It's so. More of just the neighborhood store. That's what it seems. Anyway, like to me. <laughs> we'll move on. It's in the Heights, and this is. It's funny because for a lot of people, you think it is the follow-up for Lin Manuel Miranda after Hamilton, but it's actually. This is the show that he had on Broadway before Hamilton. Yep. So it goes back a ways, and it won four Tonys. It did. It won a Best Musical, and then for uh, for Miranda, he won Best Actor and also Best uh, Music. So it definitely a successful show, but by now, he has aged out of the starring role. He starred as Yuznavi on Broadway, but the, he takes a, a small role as the Paragua guy. Mm-hmm. Treats, the sweet treats in the mm-hmm. summer. But Anthony Ramos... Who you've seen, we've seen in a Hamilton and also of Stars in a Star is Born and some other things. He takes the lead and he's great. He is great. He really, it's a breakout performance. He seems like his star has been rising for a while now and he carries it, but it's a fantastic ensemble. And I thought it was a fantastic show. And we've said before, you're not the biggest fan of musicals. I'm, not. I'm, I'm the musical fan in the household <laughs> for sure. And it was great because I really didn't know anything about this show at all. I mean, I had heard of it, of course, and I heard that it was very successful, but. I really didn't know anything about the show, but I was just blown away by the way that it translated to the screen, which I think we've talked before. It's 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 not a given. Even the best directors, even the most seasoned directors can be tripped up. We've seen it. We've seen it more than a, a few times get tripped up by making a musical pop on screen. And uh, I think it does here. And the director is John M. Chu from Crazy Rich Asians. Mm-hmm. And really before that, before that hit big, he really didn't have a lot of hits. He only or, made bad films. <laughs> All right, that's. I'll just I was, say. I was being polite, <laughs> but uh, he proves a really steady hand here and a really visionary hand for the musical numbers. And now, if we look ahead, musical fans who didn't know he's directing the. If we ever get it, we finally <laughs> get the adaptation of Wicked, which is in pre-production. So this gives a little bit of confidence that he can make that one uh, pop as well. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Really like this one, 
And I think even though you're not a musical fan, I think you appreciated it, too. I did. You know what I really liked about it? It's a great summertime movie. Boy, it is. It's so joyous. It's so upbeat. And and you know what? Surprisingly wholesome, really. It really you is. Know, he starts off, he's telling a story of his neighborhood to a bunch of little kids. And so he's keeping it clean. He's talking right. to a bunch of little kids. Right. And, you know, so it does. It gives the whole thing. A very family-friendly uh, appeal to it. I think the performances are good. Like you say, I think the, the musical sequences really do have a lot of energy. They're very vibrant. Uh, and the, the, the way they're staged takes advantage of the screen. So I think, uh, I think the very best film adaptations of musicals, they do what, what theater does best, but they also take advantage of, like, uh, Les Mis. Les Mis is one of, the, I think, the best examples of that. They, you know, having them all sing live, they took advantage of the theatricality of it, but they did things that you can't do on stage as well. And I think that you see that here, especially in the big swimming pool number, which is my favorite. Yeah, I think it also reminded me of the film version of Hamilton in that there are times when it really let the stage have its space mm -hmm. and it let the, the numbers have its space. And then at certain critical times, it came in close. Yeah. And especially some intimacy. Yes. And especially worked here because it had to be gritty. It had to be hot and sweaty because the, the story gives us a countdown in days uh, on screen text before a blackout. Mm -hmm. And it also gives us on screen text of the temperature. Right. And as the days get shorter until the blackout, the temperature keeps rising. Uh, I guess one of the quibbles that we did have is because once the temperature gets into the 100s, the people don't really seem that sweaty. They don't, <laughs> I mean, especially with all the dancing there. Yeah, doing. I mean, if you've ever lived through a 100-degree summer, man, you're sweaty as soon as you walk outside. But in a, in a strange way, especially the more I got into this, that seemed to be in fitting with the magic of the movie because yeah. you're right. It's joyous. It's wholesome. I mean, I had to look twice that it's rated PG-13 because it is. It's so wholesome. Yeah. Uh, with the kids, with the cute kids at the beginning and the end, they're kind of bookends around this story, and it's just it's just moving constantly with the people on this block. Some are coming home with news. Some are planning to leave. There's romance in the air. There's gossip at the hair salon. There's uh, business at the local car service, and all this stuff is going on. And in the heart of it are these immigrant families, really just trying to hold on to a place where they feel they belong. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the heart of this, it is. really. Yeah, that's the point of the story. Yeah, but it does. It feels like such a celebration of summer. And it's the timing is perfect yep. because this is one, as we're seeing now a few of these, as theaters are open now, we're seeing these movies that have been held back mm -hmm. until the theaters are open come and hit the big screen. And this one needs a big screen. It needs that community of people together and, and having that feeling that they're celebrating because, sure, there's still a lot of bad out there, but things are improving in, in ways of the, you know, the pandemic and people getting out and things like that. So if you allow yourself, what is it, 143 minutes here to celebrate, it really feels joyous and it feels exuberant. Do you know I, one of the things that I, I appreciate about the film? I think it can't help but, it cannot help but make you think, I think, of do the right thing, mm -hmm. right? Because yeah. it is set on a city block in New York, not the same suburb, but to, but still it's on a, set on a city block, and it's a countdown to a uh, heat wave. There's yeah. a heat wave, and, and, you know. They were sweaty and do the right thing. They were thing. sweaty and do the right thing. <laughs> they were sweaty. But then the other one it reminds me to a certain degree of, again, mainly because of just the, well, the music, the singing, the dancing, and the street, and the New York City 
is West Side Story. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I really appreciate about this one is that it does. There's no crime here. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. no downside. It's yeah. not leading you toward anything unpleasant. It's just saying, or we can just visit a community where the stresses are sort of day to day regular people stresses, and everybody falls in love, and there's all of this happiness everywhere. And I just thought that was a nice change of pace. Not to say that there's anything. Well, West Side Story is not necessarily my bag. Do the right thing. I think is a masterpiece. I'm just. My point was. It's such a celebratory film. It is. And even though I think it's got to even intentionally, especially do the right thing, recall that. There are certain moments that just are, are, really seem like an homage to it. The, the fact that it's so happy in mm-hmm. the way that it, it sort of discusses this community and this neighborhood and these neighbors, I thought was really lovely and refreshing. Yeah, I agree. And some of the, you mentioned the swimming pool uh, dancing set piece, fantastic. There's another one on the roof, really just, just two people in that one, and that is uh, Corey Hawkins, who plays Benny, and Leslie Grace, who plays Nina. They are reconnecting after a while, so there might be some romance there. And uh, they have a, a great dance number that starts on the roof, let's just put it that way, and gets even more impressive. And that's one that's a little more intimate because it's really only two people involved. Yeah. And then, for his part, Yusnavi's finally getting a date with his crush, Vanessa, mm-hmm. although she has her eyes on an apartment uptown, so it might be too late, you never know. Then there's a lottery ticket. The, the bodega sells a winning lottery ticket, and that means $96,000. That's wh- the best number. Which is huge. That's a great number, That's too. That's a fun number. And, and then the lights done. go out. Yeah. And then you've got Jimmy Smits, yeah. uh, who, who plays Nina's father. N- Nina's father, and he runs the car service that Benny works at. So there's just all these people. There's all this, this motion and constant stories. And like, like I said, everybody just fighting for their own sense of place and their own sense of purpose. And it is, it's so happy and so celebratory. And the the music, it was interesting. The music, I didn't know anything about the songs as I said beforehand, but the music struck me as a younger version, since Miranda wrote all of it, sort of a younger version of the Hamilton music. Like this was the the young people and then they graduated to the, the Hamilton music. It seemed that way. It seemed a little bit more young to me. Not that that's a bad thing. No, but, and, it, and it matches the characters. Yes, it they matches are the mainly, characters. Yeah, yeah, young people who are sort of about yeah. to make a permanent step. But you can see some, of course, the same style. But I loved how in the instrumentation, a lot of the, in some of the numbers, the, the sounds of the street were incorporated into yeah. the percussion, yep. which was very cool. And it, they're, they're very infectious, and it's just, it really gets your toe tapping and, and, and your feet moving. And it's just one of those that is perfect for, like we've said many times here in this, in this short review, a joyful summertime celebration. That what it is. That's what it is. And can't recommend it enough on the big screen. Glad they held it for the big screen because I think it deserves it. So a hearty recommendation for In the Heights this week in theaters. And here's another one in theaters this week. To pay for her education and the chance of a better life, a young woman joins a dangerous scrap metal crew. This is Holler. You know, I'm not slow, honey. I know what you've been doing. What about the police? Police ask questions. You stay in this town because you're scared. Scared to call, scared to leave. You stay here because you're weak. Rather work line for it than die over scrap. Stop! Hey! Get in! Why don't you leave, Ruth? Just take my keys and go. I got a chance a couple days ago to talk to writer-director Nicole Rigel, who is from Ohio, which is where we are yeah. from. Yeah. Uh, she's from Jackson, Ohio, which is Southern Ohio's Appalachia. 
and which is where this movie was is set and was filmed. Exactly. And boy, did it look familiar! Yes. I tell you what, you grew up in Northwest Ohio. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Southeast Ohio. This could have been either one of our hometowns. Oh, it could definitely have been yours. It reminded me very much of yours. And that was absolutely her intent, right? Is that this is not hillbilly elegy. Mm-hmm. This is a story about Thank Appa- God. right. This is a story about <laughs> Appalachians told by Appalachians, and that was her. That was her whole purpose. And, and in particular, she wanted to, she said, and I think she succeeded, to tell a story about women, a woman. It's a woman in Appalachia. And it's a social commentary, and it's one that I think that people need to hear because, it, you know, the, life is not a meritocracy. You oh, know? that's true, yeah. It, the world really is set up against a lot of people. And she found her, this, this character, Ruth, she finds herself as one of those people. She barely attends high school because she does a lot of scrapping with her brother so that they can stay one step ahead of eviction. Mm-hmm. Her mom is in jail for, uh, she's a junkie. And uh, her dad, they never even mentioned her dad. Who knows where he is? But the story of how her mom became a junkie goes back to the opioid crisis. Does. So, and which is rampant in that part of the oh country. Oh my God, it is. Yeah. But it was also, you know, it was interesting that she doesn't know how to get where she wants to go mm-hmm. because... No one in her family has ever gotten where she wants to go. And because nobody else expects her to do this, so there is nobody telling her, oh, there is FAFSA. Right. There are, you know, and right. so it's really interesting. And one of the things that I thought, one of the best things, there's a teacher who's sort of her nemesis, right? He's sort of her nemesis throughout this film, but he doesn't think of himself that way. He just doesn't want her to make her life any harder than it has to be. Right. Why doesn't he, she just sign up for these IT courses and just... Because the point he makes is right. Student loans can be crippling to the rest of your life. And so he's making a good point, but there's a disconnect there. And, of course, she's got, with her general uh, view of life, she's got her defenses up uh, and has an an attitude uh, because of the situation she's in. But she's very smart. And we haven't even mentioned, we've got to mention the actress, Jessica Barton. Oh, what a spitfire she is. And you might remember her years ago. She played Hannah's friend that she meets along the way in Hannah with Saoirse Ronan. Right. She's and also nosebleed. She's nosebleed in The Lobster, which is fantastic. And, but she still looks like a high school kid. Yeah, she somehow. does. Somehow. Yeah, she and does. she's great in this part. She's so good in this part. And I think, you know, as much as we've been talking about sort of the, the social commentary that the film makes and does well, it, it wouldn't work if it weren't a great story. And it really is a great story. And character driven. Oh, it's very character driven. It's a coming of age film about, mm-hmm. this, about this young girl and, and what she and her brother decide that they're going to do so that they can get the cash that she needs to, to mm-hmm. get into college. She's been accepted into a college. And even that is so authentic to this part of the world, the scrapyard, the scrap team. And what I wouldn't have had no idea. And this actually happens. And one of the things that, that she said to me in the interview is that the buildings that they went into to film some of these scenes had been scrapped. Oh, yeah. So she had, her, her set designer had to go get metal and put it back into the ceiling so they could pull it out. Well, that happens around here. I mean, we're oh, in yeah. Columbus, Ohio. We're not in Appalachia, but we're close enough. There's there's buildings around us that have been raided for the copper wire. Yeah. For sure. That's definitely going on out there. So it's, it's just really, and it's a really fascinating, the story of this girl's coming of age. And also, I think Barton is clear, far and away the star of this movie. She's such a good, she does such a good job. But I think the entire ensemble is really good and very authentic. Yeah. And it's, you made the point before, I think maybe in your written review, that it's authentic in character, it's authentic in place, in time, but it's authentic in poverty and, right. and showing poverty. And there, it, comes, it brings to mind 
some other films. Yes, you're going to think of Winter's Bone. Sure. Uh, might be the, the first one. Also, Little Woods. Right. And there's a couple others I think you mentioned. Yeah. But it's nice to see that done in an authentic manner and not something like, you know, Hillbilly Elegy or something like that. Right. No, yeah, there's not there's not a sense of the noble poor, you right. know, and there's not a sense of just work hard enough and play exactly. for the bootstraps. It's not condescending. It's not patronizing. It's a very realistic look and also a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. And this is uh, this is her debut as well. It is. You know what? We have to mention, too, that Brandon Thomas, who writes for us uh, on uh, on MadWolf.com, he knows her. They're from they, the work, sa- they used to work in a movie theater That's right. together. They're, they're both from Jackson, and they both worked at, I believe, the drive-in theater together. Yeah. They both worked there <laughs> when they were young. That's fantastic. And you, and you brought him up in the interview, <laughs> and she remembered him. Yes, yeah? yes, she did. She said hi. <laughs> so this is a, this is a great, uh, a really impressive debut. And this one is, yeah, in theaters as well. And it's called Holler. Let's go to Netflix next. After a devastating global event wiped out all the electronics and eliminated people's ability to sleep, a former soldier may have found a solution with her daughter. This is Awake. We're all going to die if we don't solve this. Hands up! Get out! Don't shoot! Hands up! Don't shoot! Hands up! I can sleep. I can sleep. We need to get your daughter to Murphy. She could be key. We should sacrifice her. She's my daughter, and she's coming with me. You be strong, okay? We're not giving up. No one is attacking us! Our survival depends on her. Let's get to work. Well, this is not listed as a horror movie, but for you, it might be the most horrific... (laughs) The most horrific situation you can possibly imagine if you couldn't sleep. I like sleeping. <laughs> sleeping is my favorite. Um, and one of the things that the movie does really well, I think, is it lets you know what's going to happen if you really don't sleep. Right? They're like, within 72 hours, your brain starts to swell. Within yeah. such and such a time, you, you know. Um, well, you know, years ago when, as I mentioned before, I'm in radio, and years ago, one of the guys from the station I was working at, the morning show, did this stunt where he tried to break the record for staying awake. Remember that? And I saw firsthand how hallucinatory people get. I mean, he was having hallucinations. And, yeah, it doesn't take long before, maybe for you, quicker than others. But I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but they do a good job as, as setting the stakes. Yeah. You know, as to how this could really F you up if you cannot sleep. Right. And uh, and and what she what she finds, Gina Rodriguez plays the mother, and what she finds immediately is that her daughter can sleep. Right. So she's got like, I don't know, nine, ten, eleven year old daughter, and and so suddenly it it, it she has to figure out because everybody else is gonna die. They're all going to die. What is gonna happen to this little girl? Right. Well, before she can even figure out what she's gonna do with this little girl to make sure she's set up hopefully to survive. A, uh, a religious group plucks her up, mm-hmm. and uh, and and that gets weird. And so she's got to. But then there's also, of course, so in any sort of, it's not even post-apocalypse. It's the immediate apocalypse. These films, you always have the religious group that is out to get you, and you always have the the um, government group that is out together. So honestly, the film doesn't break a lot of new ground, no. except in the specific apocalypse that they're showing you. And I think that that part is very interesting. Yeah, it's um, co-writer and director Mark Rasso. And yeah, I thought it was an effective hook, maybe because of how much you like to sleep. But I mean, <laughs> uh, all, all, 
all people have to do is really think about it for a minute or two, and then you think, oh, my God, yes, that would be just horrible. Well, and the other thing, too, is is in, in your race against the clock, mm-hmm. you know, not only do you have an end date, you're only going to survive for so long. You, With every passing second, you're a worse version of yourself. Yeah. You're less likely to be able to think through what needs to happen. You're less likely to remember how to get back to the daughter you left hiding somewhere. Well, um, but then there's the aspect is, you, you brought it up. She has the, the mother is trying to then to just say, OK, if I'm going to die, let me try to set it up so she can have some sort yes. of future. Yeah. So you've got double the, yeah. the ticking clocks there. And so, yeah, that is interesting. It is going to bring going to bring to mind a lot of other films. Yes. Pieces and parts of other films. But I think he puts them together fairly well. I do, too. I mean, this is not a great movie. There are going to be moments that just feel kind of lifted and other moments that feel much too underdeveloped. But there are also some pretty effective sequences. And as I say, I mean, it's it's got a pretty good hook. Performances are decent. It's got a good ensemble cast. Yeah, you've got you mentioned Gina Rodriguez and then Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah, pops Barry up. Pepper. Yeah, Barry Pepper and uh, Shamir Anderson. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's well. I mean, the production values are fine. Mm-hmm. It's well produced and, and, and well acted. It's just borrows a lot yeah but when you're borrowing i think i think they realize that yeah uh but they stitched them together pretty well i think and, so and so it's it's pretty decent on on netflix and it's called awake all right let's do a straight up horror movie next after viewing a strangely familiar video nasty enid a film censor sets out to solve the past mystery of her sister's disappearance embarking on a quest that dissolves the line between fiction and reality this is called censor butchering sadism murder wave of depraved and corrupt horror video confusing fiction with reality Doug Smart producer high-dent investment films maybe Enid could watch my latest Frederick North submission wanted a woman's eye on this film people think that I create horror horror is already out there and all of us. This movie's got me written all over it. It does. It really does. It does. And this is one, I'll be honest with you, this is one that I have liked better in the, I don't know, 24 hours or so since we've seen it. Mm-hmm. The more I thought about it, and yeah, it's it's really effective, and it's, it's creepy, mm-hmm. and it's well acted, and... There's, you know, there's blood. Yeah, there is. There's blood. There is. And it's an interesting story. It is. And there are a lot of layers to it. And I think they all work. So Enid, who's played by Naim Algar. We think we're pronouncing that right. Yeah. Um, (laughs) She's a censor. And it's uh, 1985. It's Thatcher's England. And it's the era of the video nasties, which is to say... If you're not familiar, and I am, this is one of my favorite eras of horror, actually, you know, that they just censored horror in England just to the bone yes. to uh, to protect the world from the filth that was on there. Uh, and so it's Enid's job to actually censor it, which is, you know, it's tough because she's trying to, she's here to protect everybody else from these images, which means she has to watch the most horrifying moments again yeah. and again and again. Just if, how many seconds do we have to shave off this eye gouging to make it acceptable and for the public? She seems to be a little bit more stringent in her, like she wants to clamp down on things that at least one of her coworkers wants to let go. Right, yeah. I mean, she, but she doesn't, she doesn't just gut them. I mean, she, she'll go back a frame by oh, yeah. frame until she just figures out we need exactly this many seconds, which I think also she, she's watching this 
She's just swimming in it. Yeah. Just gore and, she gets and violence in it. and rape and all of this horror, this true horror. But one of the things I think that eventually you see is that what she's really censoring is her own thinking. Mm -hmm. She's trying not to remember something or there's something that she you know, needs to remember. And once she finally decides through a series of sort of coincidences that she thinks feed into some pattern... She's decided that she she maybe has figured out this awful mystery from her past. Right. And at that point, her life blends into these horror films that are being shot that she's seen so many times. And it really, that's a shift that might not work. Yeah. And, and I think it does here. She becomes fixated on the work of this one particular provocateur director. And then her connection to that director is this producer, this really slimy producer played by Michael Smiley. Who we always love. We always love. He threw me because he doesn't have a beard. No. Here. But uh, he, he definitely, yeah, he's, he's a, a, a great character actor. Uh, love seeing him. And, and, you know, Algar is great, too. And I knew I knew her. She, we just saw her in a small part in Wrath of Man. But she was, uh, had a, a hefty part in the movie that is now called, it was called Shadow of Violence, and now you can find it as Calm With, Calm Horses. with Horses. Good movie, mm -hmm. slipped through the cracks, and she's good in it. So I knew that I knew her, and she she carries this for sure. Oh, she absolutely I mean, she's does. in almost every scene, yes. and she is fantastic. But yeah, her, it reminded both of us of Barbarian Sound yes, Studio. Yes, very Because much. there, that's about sound. Right. This is about censoring, but still... It's, he's it's, he's creating the sound. He's yeah. a fully sound creator for really really awful ghastly horror films. Right. So here she she's just sent. So it, she still has to be involved in the process of the film. So it it did uh, and how in Barbarian Sound Studio he kind of descends the the uh, sound engineer sort of descends into madness in those films. And so it's it's a little bit similar, but it does go a diff a different route, especially with she's with uh, her trying to solve this mystery from her past and she thinks that she's made a connection with the one actress in the film but uh it is yeah it's it's fascinating and it becomes psychological and the blending of of reality and imagination and, and hallucinations we don't know you know what is real she doesn't know she doesn't know one of the things that i like the best about it though is as director uh Prano Bailey Bond and the way she just nails the era, just nails it. Oh, not yeah. just visually, not just the way it looks, but the just the sociological, the, the social context yeah. for this mm -hmm. video nasty sort of era. I thought she just she just really had it spot yeah, on. Yeah, she co-wrote it too, and I think this is her debut. Wow. Yeah, so another great debut, and this is one. Uh, is this in theaters? All right, man. There's some good stuff in theaters this week. Love saying that again. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we uh, we definitely recommend this one as well, and it is censor. And we have a foreign language film next. Marcos is an experienced nurse. He works in the night shift of a provincial private clinic. He is applied and professional, but has a secret. In some extreme cases, he applies euthanasia. This is La Dosis or the Dose. Speaking of Brandon Thomas, Brandon reviewed this one for us over at MadWolf.com. And Carlos Portalupi plays Marcos and is magnificent. <laughs> he's just, he's elegant and world-wearied and very sympathetic. He does a great job and he carries the movie and he's really the reason to see it. But it's got a great sort of idea because he really, um, just through ch just sympathy, he's, he's ending some suffering. But then there is a new nurse who comes on 
who's also ending some people's lives. Yes, yes. But he's more of a sociopath than a narcissist, and he's a charmer. Yeah. And so he gets some people on his side, and that really is, of course, that's the, that's the conflict within the film. It should have played out better than it did. It's writer-director Martin Kraut. And, yeah, once the other guy comes into play, it's almost like dueling. Instead of an angel and a devil on your shoulder, you've got two angels of death. You know? and, they're, <laughs> and they're like, like, ooh, which one is alpha here? Because Marcos is definitely threatened. Yes. For sure. Yeah. It's an interesting concept. It's just not executed as well as it might have been. But still, the, the central uh, performance is is reason enough to see it and this is on well it's on it's streaming but it's also in a virtual screening room correct and you can find that one of the places you can find it in a virtual screening room is at gatewayfilmcenter.org and with that let's go to the lobby let's all go to the lobby let's all go to the lobby let's all go to the lobby and we're in the lobby checking in with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. The Schlocketeer, for all the latest studio news and release dates and comings and goings. What do you got this week? Well, the German vampire film Blood Red Sky will debut on Netflix on July 23rd. Uh, the Evil Dead fan documentary Hail to the Deadites, which played Nightmares Film Festival last year, will hit VOD on July 27th. Nice. On September 10th, Netflix is premiering Kate, which is a John Wick and Nobody-style action movie starring Mary Elizabeth Winstead. That seems to be the uh, the new mold for all action movies these days. I know they're about ready to shoot one called Lou with Alice and Janney as the badass. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, any you know any successful formula, they're going to copy it, so it's no surprise. Yeah, as long as they keep picking good actors, I'll right. keep watching them. Right, there you go. Uh, moving on from dates. I'm happy to report that after a whopping 13 years, Indiana Jones 5 is finally in production and will be in front of our eyes next summer. And similarly, the John Hamm starring Fletch movie, Confess Fletch, will begin uh, filming in a couple weeks here as well, also for at least next year. So hopefully those will both be fun. Mm -hmm. Moving on a bit more, Universal has announced that they are doing a new movie reboot of The Monsters for their streaming service, Peacock, and it'll be directed by... Rob Zombie. <laughs> yes. I saw that. I was. Uh, I had to say I raised my eyebrows at that choice a little bit. Yeah, I'm kind of having a hard time picturing what a Munsters movie would be from him yeah. or what it would be like from him. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an odd combination. It is, but you never know. Uh, New Line and Warner Brothers are making an animated prequel to The Lord of the Rings titled Lord of the Rings War of the Rohirrim, and that'll be set about 250 years before the events of the trilogy. That should be interesting. My claim to fame is I have never seen any of the Lord of the Rings movies. Well, there'll be a lot more of it for you to miss because they also have their live-action prequel TV show hitting Amazon Prime next year. Wow. And then lastly, the most important announcement I have of the week for you is that on July 1st, HBO Max will premiere the cartoon sequel series to your favorite film of 2021, Tom and Jerry. Oh, Yes. Oh, my. I can't wait. Really can't wait. I know it was your favorite film, too. Right. Don't, don't just pin this on me. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget that movie. Oh, man. Although we try. We really try. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, remember, you can always check the latest uh, news from Daniel on Twitter at The Schlocketeer. Thanks again. All right. Thanks for having me. All right, looking ahead to next week, one we just saw at our first promo screening with a crowd of winners for the first time in well over a year. Yep. And it was The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. That comes out next week. Also, Peter Rabbit 2. Uh, whoa. 
Super Deep. New one from Disney, Luca. Rita Moreno, just a girl who decided to go for it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that I one. I bet you are. Another uh, documentary, Brian Wilson, Long Promised Road. There's also 12 Mighty Orphans. And Crime on the Bayou and anything else that might pop up. And we'll find out next week. Until then, let us know what you thought about anything that was out this week. You can always find us on Twitter. That's the easiest way to keep the conversation going. We're at Mad Wolf on Twitter. Also, Mad Wolf Columbus on Facebook and Instagram. And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and other fun stuff, including our horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club, with a brand-new episode, by the way, just dropped. That's all at MadWolf.com. So until next week, keep in touch. See you at the movies, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>